Hey folks, a quick message before we begin today's episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, We recorded episode 257, which is what you're about to listen to a a few days ago. And I just wanted to let you know that due to uh, being busy and whatnot, I was not able to get this episode published when it was intended. One of the episode sponsors is the Law of Self-Defense webinar that we had a couple of days ago. Uh, And... Now, we had mentioned that in some other previous episodes, but uh, I just wanted to point out that that webinar has come and gone, but the opportunity is still there to watch the replay of that webinar and still gain a lot of valuable information about the law of self-defense, plus take advantage of some special limited-time offers from Law of Self-Defense and us here at ConcealedCarry.com. And so today's episode sponsor was the Law of Self-Defense webinar but since that's come and gone, here's a link where you can go watch the replay and still take advantage of these special opportunities and offers. This does expire, by the way. There were the content, the webinar itself, the replay video, unfortunately, uh, due to our agreement with Law of Self-Defense, is going to come down Sunday night, this coming Sunday, okay, September 23rd at 11.59 p.m. Mountain Time. That video will, will come down. And so you have a limited time to watch about two hours of this, uh, of this, uh, well, was recorded live webinar. Uh, so head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash L O S D webinar to take advantage of that. All right. So there you go. Concealedcarry.com forward slash L O S D webinar to watch the replay. All right. Enjoy the rest of the episode. This is the concealed carry podcast episode number 257. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined by my compadre, Jacob Paulson. Thanks, Riley. I don't even know what compadre means. <laughs> I I don't know either. And I was just, as you said that, I'm like, what does is, what is Riley think it means? <laughs> my buddy. Right? Uh, yeah, compadre. I don't, I don't know. Isn't that something? I don't know. Like, I hear people say that, right? Growing well, up Spanish, yeah, so, that's why I asked you. You're you're a somewhat Spanish speaker. Apparently, translated a direct translation is Godfather. So, oh, okay, that, but <laughs> Urban Dictionary that makes sense though. Padres in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Urban Dictionary says close friend, classmate, companion in war. So, there you go. Hey, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm a literal dude, so don't call me that anymore. I'm not <laughs> All right. So anyway, hey folks, welcome uh, to today's episode. Uh, this being our weekly Tuesday episode, meaning we are covering news stories from across the industry and especially highlighting some awesome justified save stories today or DGUs. Uh, those uh, that are new to the podcast, uh, we, we share a number of DGU stories or defensive gun uses each week. Uh, we call those justified saves because they are justified instances of people using a gun to defend themselves, their family, their loved ones, whatever, and they are saving lives. So we got some really, we got some definite cases of saving lives today, uh, which is fantastic. But first, today's episode is brought to you by, we have this upcoming Law of Self-Defense webinar, which is actually the first, we have two of those coming up. The first one is tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. 
That's Wednesday the 19th. Correct. And uh, we got a bunch of people already registered, but we still have a few spots. The other set, the other webinar is Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, that one's got a little bit more space than the other one. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, I know it's going to be valuable. I know you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to come away learning something. So go check it out at lawselfdefense.org forward slash quiz webinar. Plus, we're giving away over $1,000 worth of prizes in each of those. That's right. I don't even know if I... I think I failed to mention that. Maybe I didn't even know we were... I, I, I guess I knew we were giving away something, but you never told me what we're giving away. All right. Well, in each of those sessions, we will give away the Vism Expert Range Bag. We'll give away a Sports Afield handgun safe. We're going to give away the GPS Outdoors Handgunner Backpack. That's We're going cool. to give away a rifle kit. Uh, we're going to give away a $50 gift card to SSP eyewear, and we're giving away the Laser Light Premium Trainer. That's some good stuff, man. Yeah. Is, is there one of those each per session? Correct. One what? of those oh, each per wow. Yeah. Wow. Score. Somebody's going to score big. So space is limited. Make sure you get signed up. Once again, that link is lawselfdefense.org forward slash quiz webinar. All right, link in the show notes as well. And as, as always, uh, with today's episode, if you, uh, a short link to today's show, show notes is you can simply type in concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 257. And that'll get you to the show notes and you'll see all these links, including for our wonderful sponsors right there. So also uh, I have here Guardian Nation because it should always be a sponsor pretty much although many of you are probably already aware of that. But I just wanted to highlight the fact that we have some new benefits coming that I am super excited about. Can, 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 we, can we tease it at all, Jacob? It has something to do with ammunition, Ooh. saving money on ammunition. And Snap. probably the announcement will come the 1st of October. <laughs> hey, thanks for the tease. So Guardian Nation members, get excited. We have something really big coming uh, very, very soon. Also, um, yeah, Probably more stuff in the works, right? Because we're always working on something. I don't know. No, that that that's definitely going to be a big one. It's going to be really exciting. So if you're not a member of Guardian Nation, head on over to GuardianNation.com and make sure you are because you're missing out if you're not a member of the nation. So with that, we're going to get into it. Jacob, first uh, thing first, though, each week we feature a... Case of the week from Andrew Branca, and I like this week's case because it applies directly to us here in Colorado. <laughs> so I know this is, doesn't necessarily have ap- application to many of the rest of you, other than there are always lessons to be learned from these things. I, even when we had cases from California or Massachusetts or Texas, like I still find I come away learning stuff, even if that case law maybe doesn't apply in my state. There's lessons to be learned, and one of the biggest lessons of all is to make sure you actually understand the law, <laughs> right? And, you know, like, in other words, and I think Andrew actually says that in today's case of the week. He says, do your best to stay, and I'm paraphrasing, but do your best to stay as much within the bounds of the law as you can. Like, like why push the limits? Why push the edge, right? You know, so understand the law and then make sure you stay well within it. And I think that's a really... Nice lesson uh, learned from this one here today. So queuing up this week's case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca of Law Self-Defense. And he is the very man that you will see live in tomorrow evening's 
uh, Law of Self-Defense webinar with us and also on Thursday afternoon. So here it is, Case of the Week. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. This week's case involves a Colorado prosecutor once again testing the legal boundaries of that state's Make My Day statute passed into law in 1986. The Make My Day statute, properly termed Statute Section 18.1.704.5, Use of Deadly Physical Force Against an Intruder, has several substantive sections. One provides for special provisions that relax the requirements for deadly defensive force when dealing with an intruder in one's dwelling. Two other provisions provide for criminal and civil immunity for a use of force that satisfies those requirements. You can read the actual language of the statute by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash make my day. Now, generally speaking, deadly defensive force requires a deadly force threat. Many states have special provisions, however, that legally presume a defender is facing an imminent deadly force threat when they're facing an intruder into highly defensible property, such as one's home. In effect, this presumption gives the defender three of the five elements required to justify deadly defensive force. The Castle Doctrine grants a fourth of those elements. Thus, the defender has been handed four of the five elements needed to justify a use of deadly defensive force against an intruder into his dwelling. Now, note these legal presumptions of reasonableness do not actually eliminate the requirement that deadly defensive force requires a deadly force threat, they simply presume that the requirement has been met. Colorado, however, takes a different approach by effectively entirely eliminating the requirement that the defender be facing a deadly force threat if the conditions of the statute are met. Paragraph 2 of the Make My Day statute sets out the special conditions for the use of deadly defensive force against an intruder into a dwelling under the Make My Day law. One, that there's an unlawful entry by an intruder. Two, that there's a reasonable belief by the defender that the intruder is going to commit some additional crime in addition to the entry. And three, that the defender has a reasonable belief that the intruder may use even non-deadly force against an occupant in the dwelling. So if the conditions of the Make My Day law are met, even a non-deadly force threat can be sufficient to justify a deadly defensive force response. Paragraph 3 of the Make My Day statute provides that if the conditions of paragraph 2 just described have been met, the defender is entitled to immunity from criminal prosecution, and paragraph 4 of the statute does the same for immunity from civil suit. Last year, the boundaries of the Make My Day law were tested in a trial where the issue was whether the law applied to a detached garage as it does to a dwelling, and it was found that it does. In this most recent case, the question is whether the law applies to the common space basement of an apartment building. In this case, we're discussing here a resident of an apartment complex, Patrick Rao, suspected that there was an intruder in the basement of the apartment building. There had been repeated difficulties with homeless people unlawfully entering the building, and he saw an exterior door into the basement ajar. Equipping himself with a headlamp and a handgun, Rao entered the basement and confronted an intruder. Then the facts get complicated. 
Rao claims that the intruder started acting crazy and throwing objects at him, which would certainly qualify as the use of force no matter how slight and be sufficient to meet that condition of the make-my-day law. There is also, however, evidence that Rao gave the intruder a verbal countdown, five, four, three, two, one, before shooting him, suggesting that he did not genuinely believe he was facing a serious threat. Certainly such conduct is not obviously consistent with necessary self-defense, and it was likely this conduct that led a grand jury to indict Rao for manslaughter. After the indictment, Rao sought immunity under Make My Day by convincing the hearing judge by a preponderance of the evidence that he met the conditions of that paragraph too. Fortunately for Rao, the hearing judge decided in his favor, and Rao has been granted immunity. Unfortunately for Rao, however, Colorado law allows prosecutors to appeal a grant of immunity under Make My Day, and in this case, the prosecutor has chosen to do so to a Colorado mid-level court of appeals. Interestingly, a defendant does not have the right to appeal a denial of immunity. Also, unfortunately for Rao, there is existing Colorado case law that restricts the application of Make My Day from applying to common areas in an apartment building on the basis that such common areas do not count as a defender's dwelling from which he has the right to deny others access. And that ruling would certainly seem to apply to the common area of a basement like where this shooting took place. So, fair warning, do your best to stay well within the legal boundaries of use of force law. When you skirt the edges of the law, not only do you take on more legal risk than necessary, you might just incentivize a curious prosecutor to make you a test case. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, there you have it. Uh, this week's case of the week. I, I think I got that pretty good, didn't I? I was paraphrasing uh, what Andrew said, but make sure you stay well within the bounds of the law. What was your takeaway from this uh, case, Jacob? Well, I think it goes to show how in the moment we're not thinking about what the, you know, this guy wasn't thinking about the law. He didn't go down to that basement and think, all right, well, you know, make my day law says I can be down here. That, that That's not what happened. This guy just was doing his thing and he ended up in court and he's like, oh, I know I'll use the make my day law to justify my actions. And he got away with it uh, at that level of the court. And then later he did not. Now, I, I'm not saying what the law should or shouldn't say or whether or not his actions should or shouldn't be justified. Ethically, I, it's all out of context to me. What what I take from uh, Andrew's really analysis of the thing is that, you know, just because you are able to get away with something, you know, just because a, a judge or a jury or something say, yeah, you're good, doesn't mean it can't be appealed to a, a court of appeals, mid-level, high-level, whatever it is, and eventually the Supreme Court, and that can't be reversed. And uh, I, I think the other thing I would take away from it is, 
you know, you, you never know when you're going to get caught in the circumstances. Sometimes we do all we can to avoid them, and sometimes we just can't. But we do have to be prepared to say, you know, someone's throwing objects at me. Is this a, uh, is this a real you know, moment for me to be shooting back? And ultimately, this was not deemed a deadly force threat. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to invoke the Make My Day law, right? He invoked the Make My Day law because it clearly was not a deadly threat. And the Make My Day law allowed that he would be able to use deadly force against a non-deadly threat. Right. So, And that is yeah. a really key point of that whole thing. And it's it's just interesting, right? Because this happened in a common area of an apartment, right? Yeah, not a dwelling, not a place you can restrict access. Yep, yep. So, you know, that's where, at least in Colorado, it it was definitely a very much of a gray area, at least in this guy's case. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of different angle from what you were saying, Jacob. As far as you you talked about how he went down there and wasn't thinking in his mind like, well, make my day law, like I can do this. I'm going to say like his issue was taking the law in his own hands in that he had zero obligation, zero need to go into the basement of this apartment building in this common area to confront this intruder. But it's, it's clear that he went down there prepared with the intent to do just that as far as he put on a headlamp and grabbed his gun and then went down to the, to the basement to investigate. Yeah, I, th- that's fair, and intent you know matters. And but I, I'll add that any of us could be in a similar situation on accident, right? That that common area, that basement, might be a laundry room, you know, where all the residents use the laundry or something, and sure. you can be faced with a threat down there. So, um, well, it's one thing to to just by chance end up in that place sure, at that sure. time, but it's, it seems pretty clear that he went in search of this intruder knowing that there was a history of these homeless people or whatever coming into that area. Sure. And, uh, that, that's, that's what I saw was regardless of what this guy thought about the law. The problem was he thought he was the law, that it was his place to go investigate that as opposed to a responsible citizen. I, and this, I think I'm be, I think this example is a very specific example and I have no qualms whatsoever about saying he was in the wrong for, not sitting tight and placing a phone call and saying, officers, we, we believe there's somebody in the basement that's not supposed to be down there. All right, please come check it out. You know, as opposed to he took it into his own hands to go and, and check that out. Yeah, it's the opposite of the whole, you know, it we, we carry because of the stakes, not the odds. This is the opposite. Like there were no stakes, <laughs> right? He was playing. It was the exact opposite. There was nothing at stake for him at all. He yeah. had nothing to lose. What did you uh, by just staying staying in his apartment? What did you think about his countdown approach? Uh, I, I think I mean I, I for me it was not entirely relevant in the in the way the the case is being appealed. Right. Um, but but just I as think a, it's also uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I agree. I thought that was interesting. You know, hey, I'm going to shoot you if you don't stop throwing crap at me in five, four. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like a threat against my kids. You got three seconds to clean your room, <laughs> you know, or else. Uh, anyway, I just I think there's a lot of really interesting lessons to learn and or consider from that case, uh, as far as like what not to do. Uh, and I think that countdown thing was was also another one of those. That's why that's why I brought it back up. Here's uh, here's an interesting story, and uh, this is out of Houston, Texas. Security guard shoots man to death during attempted robbery at Southwest Houston Whataburger. Yeah. Super fun. 
So Whataburger has a policy against uh, patrons bringing and, and employees from bringing guns unless specifically designated to, to do so. And in this case, as you heard from the headline, we have a security guard, an armed security guard there at the Whataburger, which I didn't realize, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever even been to a Whataburger. Surely I've been to a Whataburger in my life, but it's not a, not something that's around here. So I didn't realize that they, I, I've, no, I've known for a time that they didn't allow guns, that they have a no gun policy. I did not realize that they have uh, security guards and maybe they don't all the time and maybe not at all locations, but this location at this time of day, they have a security guard. So I thought that was just like the most like first in my face, like, whoa, kind of interesting thought here is that we, we got a security guard there. Yeah. Now, am I am I wrong? I thought I thought their policy was no open carry, but that they weren't restricting concealed carry. Am I am I'm I mistaken? Checking. Hold on. I, I for some reason that that's in the back of my mind, but you know, I'm pulling I, it up right now. It's I, on our site, but I didn't I didn't write it. I don't remember. I frequently uh, misremember things, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially when we're oh. trying to keep track of all these different companies' policies and state laws and all okay, that. Okay, so here we go. Whataburger's gun policy, and this is a quote from Whataburger's CEO, Preston Atkinson. He says that we support your rights. We respect blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay. From a business standpoint, though, we have to think about how open carry impacts our blank number of employees and customers, blah, blah, blah. We've had many customers and employees tell us they're, not com- they're uncomfortable being around someone with a visible firearm. For that reason, we don't restrict licensed concealed carry, but do ask customers not to open carry in our restaurants. So your memory is correct. Okay, cool. All right. Thank All you right. for correcting me because otherwise I'm sure we're going to hate mail from Whataburger <laughs> lovers. I hear they make a good burger, although I don't think I've ever been there either. You said you, you know, yeah. It seems likely I yeah. have, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I spent my fair time. I in, think there's in a the Whataburger here in uh, Lakewood uh, up on Colfax. I might have to go check that out because I've go check it out. never tried it. All right. So Houston, Texas, September 15th, Saturday. Uh, there's 10 customers inside the restaurant. And a man with a white bandana enters the restaurant around 1 a.m. and immediately opened fire. So that's always an, a scary thought, right? That the, enters the restaurant at 1 a.m. and immediately opened fire. So there's, it's not like, you know, we're going to find, you know, a specific person or we're trying to rob. Like when you walk in and start immediately opening fire, like what do you, what is the intent here? This is an active shooter. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. The restaurant security guard spotted the intruder. That shouldn't have been hard. Guy's got a white bandana and he's shooting. And the security guard returns fire, shooting the man four times in his right leg. That is horribly specific. <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, right? Some of the different reporting you see where some stories, it's like you're pulling teeth to get details from them. And other stories are like, uh, why was that relevant? Yeah, he shot four <laughs> times in the right leg. I mean, that, that takes a lot of work to hit the right leg four times in a row. Anyway, uh, so that's that's the short of it. The police say the suspect continued to move behind the counter, not realizing he had been shot. Uh, but then minutes later, the suspect exited the restaurant and tried to flee in an unknown vehicle. First responders found the man. They, they attempted to revive him with CPR, but apparently one of the bullets hit an artery and he bled out. No employees or customers were injured during the crossfire. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, it, number one, I think it's a little crazy that a Whataburger has a security guard. I, I don't think I've ever been in a fast food type joint that had an actual security guard. I mean, I suppose they exist, but. Well, at 1 a.m. too. I, they may not have one at noon, noon midday. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, you know, that, that that's interesting. And then, uh, I mean, well, hey, good, good on this. I mean, not only that, but this is an armed security guard, Jacob. Like, 
so often businesses, they put security guards in place, but more often than not, they're unarmed as opposed to armed. In this case, this dude is armed and he was ready. He was ready to go. Like good on him. Yeah. He probably needs to learn to raise his aim a little bit, (laughs) but, uh, uh, maybe he was aiming for the right leg four times. I don't know. Maybe the dude's large in girth and his right leg was just as big as his belly. Maybe the suspect <laughs> was using cover and his right leg was the only thing that was exposed. Hey, there you go. I like I like your thinking. So well, anyway, this is a this is a great story. I love hearing stuff like this. Uh, I didn't I didn't put this in our justified save segment because generally we. I mean, I think we probably have done some other security guard stories or something in there, but generally those are civilian type stories. And, uh, we generally count the security guards and police officers and stuff like that as, as non-civilian because they're, they're just doing their job. Right. So, unfortunately this guy did his job and probably saved some lives, I guess. I don't know. No one else. I mean, the dude came in and started shooting and was shooting behind the counter. I don't know what he was trying to shoot at. Uh, but Hey, you know, the security guard did, did what he had to do. Moving on, a news story from ABC News. U.S. judge strikes down California ban on handgun ads. Now, Jacob, this is one of those stories you read, and like my head just wants to explode. Yeah, you're like, excuse me, what? (laughs) Number one, the the stupidity uh, of certain things. And number two, it's like, how did I not know that? Like, that sort of thing exists. So apparently in 1923, a law was passed in California that banned any handgun ads at gun shops that, that were are visible, visible from, outside. from outside the store. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> like, apparently they believe that these ads would spur impulsive people to buy a handgun. And these impulsive people are clearly more prone to suicide and crime. So they say. So if you can see an ad from outside of a gun shop, you're driving, you're driving along, right? Drive, drive down main street and you're passing the local gun shop and you see an ad through the window and you're like, I want to kill myself right now. <laughs> I mean, right. like Ver- versus the rifle, you know, like the ad of a rifle is fine, but something about the right. ad that shows a handgun is going to spur impulsive people who are more prone to suicide and crime to stop and buy one. Yeah. Yeah. So progressive. This was 1923, bro. Wow. Like, I, I, that, that's why I said, I read this and I was like, really? Like, wow. Like back in almost a hundred years ago, this was a thing. This was a, this was an issue and this is still a law on the books. And it took almost a century. It took 95 years for a judge to strike it down and say, uh-uh, this doesn't work. Judge Troy Nunley in Sacramento noted in his ruling that gun shops could display a large neon sign reading guns, guns, guns or a 15-foot depiction of a sporting rifle, the judge said they could also place ads for handguns elsewhere, such as on a billboard on a billboard blocks away. But for some reason, having something that's visible through from the outside of the store that's advertising a handgun was not cool. So he just basically said this is an unfair, uh, uh, you know, law pre- preventing speech, First Amendment. Okay, because it's, I mean, it does, just doesn't make sense. It's a law that does not make sense. And I'm glad that we can look at something like that and say, yeah, this doesn't fly. Yep. And apparently this did come about because a couple of gun stores had ads, you know, that they had been cited for. That they'd been yep. charged with breaking this law. And so they filed suit and this is where it's gotten gotten them. So all around, yeah, glad to see this one bite the dust. Yep. 
Cool. So that's a happy bit of news out of California because on the flip side, actually, I'm going to jump ahead of story here, Jacob, because it just makes sense. We're talking about California. So we had some some good news. I, I like to get my good news first and now for the bad news. The bad news is a couple of episodes, uh, I think last week, actually, I think last week we were talking about this uh, Delmar uh, Fairgrounds where they've had the Delmar Gun Show for like over 30 years taking place. And uh, we mentioned that they had a board meeting where they were going to be considering whether to continue that show or not. And the result of that is, is that they have decided to postpone that, uh, that they intend to, in other words, they are not renewing at this time the show's contract for 2019. All remaining shows for 2018 are still good to go, but they are postponing taking any action on renewing the contract for beyond that. And frankly, probably doesn't look good or or positive in in as far as this as the uh, as far as the Delmar Gun Show continuing beyond the year 2018. So I know this is not a traditional Second Amendment type issue as far as this is not a a, a you know state or federal government or legislative issue. This is a very specific issue, but it's just another example of I think in certain pockets of our society too, as, as, as the, you know, gun, sh- the idea of a gun show to many non-gun people is kind of a negative, they t- it, it takes a negative uh, slant for them. And that's, that's what we're up against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's not a real big deal. Like if the government says, wants to say you can't have a gun show on government property, because you know we have policies related to this property. You know other events that that's on that's on those same fairgrounds are guns are prohibited due to policy or, or legis- you know laws. I'm not saying it's it's the, I'm cool with that. I'm saying let's move on. Like in fact, the organizers of the gun show cross and it's Crossroads of the West Gun Show. These guys are all over the country. They're, they they have gun shows in lots of different markets. They they said very clearly like, oh, if we can't have it here, we'll just have it somewhere else. <laughs> like to them, it's not sure. a big deal either. No, that's fair. Um, I know you're going to get some hate mail for uh, what you stated, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I just think, you know, hey, we're doing our part here and at least making people aware. And here's the thing. All right. And we'll move on from this. You st- and I mentioned this the last time, even though I think we were talking about this hearing going on or this meeting going on basically while we were recording or maybe just at, or we were recording just after it occurred. And I said, hey, you know what? Write those people, write the fairgrounds. Here's here's the info. You let them know that you still support the gun show. Um, that can have an effect. Let, letting those board members know that there is support for that gun show. Uh, while on the other side, they've probably got a lot of people saying we don't want the gun show. That that's what you can do. All right. So let them know that you hit, that that the show has your support. If you're especially if you're in San Diego in that area, uh, you know, do that. All right. That's good stuff. That's being a good responsible citizen. New Jersey <clears throat> latest gimmick by anti-gun politicians is simply more of the same. This uh, from NRA ILA. Uh, not not too much here really to report. But here's the deal. On Monday, September 17th, the Assembly, the New Jersey Assembly Judiciary Committee is meeting to consider, and this actually occurred yes, yesterday, I believe. Yep. So it's already done and over as far as they had a meeting to consider Bill A3129. The bill will make it a crime to acquire parts for the purpose of manufacturing an unserialized firearm. The Senate passed the companion version of this bill, Senate Bill 2465, with amendments earlier this spring. 
What's funny about this is it's already illegal in, in New Jersey, apparently, to make an unserialized firearm, especially if you do not have a New Jersey manufacturer's license. So this is just them finding another feel-good excuse to do something so for the sake of doing something. Although, in this case, what it's actually doing is changing the law. So instead of being illegal to manufacture an unserialized firearm, it'll be illegal simply to acquire parts right? Unregulated, unrestricted parts if you have the intent of making an unserialized firearm. Oof. Whoopee. Good, 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 yeah. goody. <laughs> well, to your point, this, is, you know, this seems to be about someone wanting to be able to say that, you know, I did something. We, we've, done, we've done something. And this is, by the way, the current new lowest hanging fruit, by the way. Uh, and what I mean by that is we, we see phases where the gun control groups, the gun grabbers, they pick a very specific thing to target. And for a long time, it was universal background checks and magazine capacity limitations. Well, they've, they've kind of hit a wall with that. They've, they've gotten that passed in the places where they're going to get that passed. And then for a lot, right now, the new two big hot items are extreme risk protection orders and this whole idea of ghost guns. Those are right now the two hot topics. So we're going to yeah. see we're going to see more. We're going to see more states going after these kinds of things. H- have you noticed we've already kind of moved beyond bump stocks? Like that was yeah. like all we talked it's about it's for like news. three months earlier this yeah. year, and that that that's not even on the radar really so much. No, anymore. we don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah. Just on to the next uh, shiny object that they can mm-hmm. go after. Okay, uh, now <clears throat> a moment ago we were talking about these handgun ads being illegal in California and how that's been uh, ruled against at least at a fairly, it's a lower court ruling. So just so you know, that could go on above that. But chances are, I, I would be surprised if if the state wanted to fight against that anymore. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it'd be worth worth it to, to fight. But um, apparently that was to deal with preventing impulsive people from buying a handgun. And suicide is connected to that. So on a more serious note, not to joke about suicide, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the NSSF, that puts on the SHOT Show each year in January, <clears throat> which we are beginning our plans for now, which is very exciting. I'm always, I always look forward to SHOT Show. Uh, this month is National Suicide Prevention Month, and the National Shooting Sports Foundation is doing some initiatives relating to that, uh, particularly putting forth a, a campaign. I mean, the, the NSSF has, has been well known for a long time of encouraging responsible and safe and secure storage of firearms. Uh, Project Child Safe is, is, the, is a brainchild of NSSF. Uh, and I think these are all worthwhile causes because I think, you know, this, this is our industry, our people, you know, suggesting that we as a firearms owning community, that we should be responsible in the way we own and handle and store those firearms. And I, I do think that's a worthy cause. So uh, they're just highlighting the fact that uh, we do know that suicides have uh, a high percentage of gun-related deaths in this country are actually due, are because of suicides. And that I think that you know, we should do whatever we can to try to prevent that where, where it makes sense with, without legislation. Keep in mind, that's the key here. Like I know sometimes Jacob, we see comments on various online forums where you have gun companies or, or industry people suggesting that we as gun owners do something that sounds restrictive, but I'm thinking this is the industry talking about doing something that is responsible 
as opposed to the government imposing legislation. I'd far rather us impose, if, if that's the right word, something on ourselves, even if it on the surface only gives the appearance of being more responsible, because that furthers our cause more, more than it probably hurts our cause. And that's, I think, a far better approach than, than waiting for the next line of government legislation to come, to, come on down. Yeah, I think, and I saw an article I think on on NBC uh, yesterday talking about how this is the thing that uh, gun anti gun people and gun pro gun people are together on. We're on the same page on that. We all yeah. want to reduce you know firearm related suicide, and uh, it's not necessarily a legislation kind of thing as much as it is a self policing educational uh, kind of problem. Yeah. And and that's that's the initiative here. I saw something you, you mentioned a very large percentage. I think more than half of the it's like two thirds. Two thirds in, yeah. in this country. I, this NBC article I read yesterday was talking. It had some. It was it was referencing a specific uh, gun range in southern Utah that uh, had someone come in, you know, bu- you know, pick up a gun to rent and take it in the back and, and commit suicide. It and, happens all the time. Yeah, it does. It's happened. It happens more Frankly. places than you think. And so there's a lot of efforts to educate uh, people who work at gun sh- gun shops and gun ranges to be able to identify the signs and and to police that. But anyway, I mentioned that in Utah, 86 percent of firearm related deaths are suicides. It's a huge percentage. Percent. That's crazy. So anyway, I, I just would reiterate that yeah, this is the thing that we can all be on the same page about, and that you know this is one more good reason to as as the NSS NSSF says. Respect it, secure it. Yeah, John on Facebook says, "Hum, this is not good advice." I'm, I'm curious, John, uh, on, on what you don't think is good advice here. We haven't really advised a whole lot, other than we're we've been very consistent for a long time on the podcast to responsibly store your firearms. I don't typically go into a lot of detail on what that is exactly. I think you you should do what you think is is responsible. Although I think it always makes sense to. Uh, particularly from young, younger hands, little kids' hands, uh, from children, we should absolutely be storing guns res- responsibly, meaning that they are stored in a proper storage uh, container or device, a safe, whatever, right? Um, on, a, on the broader subject here, this being National Suicide Prevention Month, I think the worthwhile conversation to be had is we should do everything we can. Like nobody wants suicides, Right, that's already established. Um, I personally have been affected. I've I've known people that have committed suicide by firearm. It's not a pretty thing. It's not cool. It's not good to have happen. So we should strive to be looking for the signs. There's a lot of education opportunities out there. Uh, in fact, you can go to the Amer- there's uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention website. Uh, which is afsp.org, which is a resource where you can go and learn about the warning signs, learn about what to, to, to look for, uh, and how to get help for those that, that may be in that kind of situation. Um, there's also the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-274-TALK-8255. So 1-800-274-8255. Um, there's many resources out there. The problem is many people don't probably know about or realize those resources exist. And so I think taking this month as an opportunity to recognize uh, that this is a legitimate problem that hopefully we can all do a little something to educate ourselves a little bit more on the topic and also understand what the resources are. And hopefully that saves somebody's life, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's about balance, right? Because um, if I have teenagers in the house, on one hand, I might want to be able to say, well, I want my teenagers to have access to a firearm to defend themselves if they're home alone or something. On the exact same hand, I got to be able to say, I'm capable of recognizing what some of those signs might be so that if I Mm -hmm. sense that my friends or my children, a friend of my child or somebody else uh, might be able to gain access to my firearm and, and they seem to have, you know, some sort of, I have, I sense some sort of concern or issue that I can responsibly uh, prevent their access to those firearms. Yeah. So it's, it's about, it's about the education to be able to sense, you know, and, and, and recognize this, the signs. And it's about securing firearms when, when not in use from unauthorized people. Yeah. That's a totally legitimate point to bring up, you know, that some people will choose to allow their teenagers to have some sort of access to a firearm for potentially for defense. Um, if that's the case, if that's where you are and that's what you decide, then it's incumbent on you to, to really take it to the next level as far as making sure you know where your child is at in their personal life, like what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what they're, you know, in other words, it can't just be lip service. It can't just be on the surface of, yeah, I'm spending time with my kids. Yeah. I'm talking to my kids. Like, no, we really need to have meaningful, deep conversations with our children, uh, and make sure that we really know and understand them, uh, which I know that can be, that's super challenging. I work with, with teenage youth all the time in, in, in my church capacity. And it's hard sometimes to, to know that you're actually reaching them or that you're actually communicating to them or vice versa in in a meaningful way, but it's something we have to be doing and we have to try. Um, yeah, anyway, so let's, uh, Get now to this is a really fascinating story here, uh, Jacob, and it's kind of linked to another one that I uh, I added to it because uh, it's referenced in this story. This story is on Amelan.com, written by Dean Weingarten. He's a fantastic uh, 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 writer, gun writer. Uh, this story is out of Wyoming, okay? And the story goes: you basically have a hunting guide, all right? His name is Mark Uptain, and he has a client that he's taking on a on an elk hunt and they're bow hunting. This is bow hunting season. Okay? They shoot an elk apparently one day but they're not able to, you know, maybe it was late, whatever. They're not able to find that elk immediately. Then they go back the next day, they locate the elk and they're beginning to process uh to dress and process and pack out that elk. In the process of that at some point, two bears show up, two grizzly bears and begin attacking the men. All right. The hunting guide goes down. He's being attacked. The client also is attacked. It says that he sustained injuries on his leg, chest, uh, and arm. Um, at some point, he's able to dig into his pack and grab a handgun. A f- I think it's even said a, it was a forty-four Magnum. Uh, I, I don't remember that. You know, whatever, maybe, maybe it doesn't say it here. I, we, Jacob and I, we've just read a bunch of bear attack stories in the last hour or so. So some things probably start to, to run together. But he grabbed a, a gun out of his pack and tossed it to the guide, Mr. Uptain, and then ran away. The, the client survived with some injuries, but he was able to get away. And the guide was not able to get and or use the gun successfully in defense. Interestingly enough, uh, investigators are not, have not been able to find or recover the gun from the scene, but according to the client's testimony, that's what he did. He grabbed the gun out of the pack, tossed it to the guide, and then ran. And unfortunately, the guide did die from the attack. So, yeah, this is really interesting. I don't know. This this is this is an intense story. I'd hate to be in either one of these guys' pos- positions, right? One dude's dead. The other dude... He's got to live with the fact that 
you know, I don't know, survivor's guild of some sort. I don't know if he wishes that he'd done anything differently. I don't know that I necessarily blame him either. You know, you, you got two bears, you got a bear attack. Um, mm, I don't know. That, that's, that's a crazy situation. Yeah, it, it is a crazy situation. I, I, I'm really kind of stuck trying to imagine a circumstance where it would make sense for me to toss my gun to someone else. Yeah. Uh, as opposed you know, to use highly, it. If you and me were up there getting mauled by bears, I just, I, I'm struggling to imagine under what circumstances I dig a hand, get out of my pack. I'm like, Riley, here, dude. Whew. You're and like, well, you're the better shot. So <laughs> that's right. I guess I, maybe, maybe I'm like, oh, Riley's got a better chance at hitting the bear. Bears are pretty big. And when they're right on top of you, I think it's pretty hard to miss. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't get that. Again, not blaming anyone, but certainly I'm stuck on that. I think the more interesting part of this for me was Dean's kind of follow-up piece where he, and he links in here Mm -hmm. to another article where he, he kind of talks about some pretty extensive research he did trying to find any instance where someone used a handgun against a bear, you know, when they were being attacked by a bear. And despite what I would call, you know, myth in the industry or the the rhetoric perhaps in the industry, it was really interesting to see how much of Dean's research led to the conclusion that ultimately handguns are actually relatively consistently effective at stopping bears, even lower caliber guns like nine millimeters. Yeah, this was really surprising. Uh, I, it's at the end of this, of this article of his about this most recent attack. And he says this handguns when used to stop an attack do so fairly reliably. And I noticed that that do so fairly reliably was, was highlighted as a link. And I'm like, Hmm, intrigued. So (laughs) Mr. Weingarten, you did a great job in intriguing me. It got me to click and boy, I am so glad that I clicked because this next article is, is amazing. He wrote this earlier this year in February. And I'll tell you what I know about Mr. Weingarten is he is very thorough in his research. He's well known for doing a series of pieces about gun control and gun laws in Australia. He spent quite a bit of time over there. And what I know is that he's very thorough. And so when he says what he found online, he was able to find 37 instances of bear attacks where handguns were used in defense. To be clear, those instances where a handgun was present but was not able to be used for some reason were not, are not included in the statistics. Okay, It's simply looking at when a handgun could be used, how effective was it? And out of all those stories, what he's able to find is 37 instances. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised because the, the title of, the, of this other article is Defense Against Bears with Pistols, 97% success rate, 37 incidents by caliber. And then he breaks down by caliber, 9mm, 357, 44 mag, 41 mag, 10mm, 45, all these different t- calibers that are pretty common handgun calibers and gives all the examples of where these happened and how they were successful. So shockingly, okay, this, this was shocking to, to me. I grew up in grizzly country, you know, like you, you didn't, you didn't go out into the backwoods with a nine millimeter on your hip. You went out with a 44 Magnum. <laughs> okay. And out of four in- documented instances where a nine millimeter was used against a bear, all four were successful. And some of the, like, these are not just little bears. Let's see. Grizzly bear in the first instance. Um, uh, probably a black bear in the second incident because it happened in Colorado and we don't really have grizzlies in Colorado. Uh, the third instant, a grizzly. 
The fourth one, a grizzly. <laughs> so these are these are big bears that a nine millimeter uh, was successful on. That opened my eyes. So and then just reading all the other stories are just like wow. Yeah, and and to clarify, by when we say stop, we don't mean like the bear dropped over dead, right? Like we mean that it was successful in in stopping the the threat of the bear. We're, we're rating it the same way we would a justified save. Right. Okay. Was the threat stopped? So kind of cool little tidbit, yeah. Yeah. No, it's. I, what was the one the one instance where it failed? Was a three fifty seven Magnum. Um, and it appears, based on reading that account, that it may have been because the guy missed. So, it you know who knows what have happened, what would have happened had he actually been able to connect with with the with the target. He may have also been successful. We might we might be instead reading a headline of ninety seven percent effectiveness, but in all instances where handguns were used to defend against against a bear. They all, we all succeeded. But anyway, it's just a really, really amazing uh, couple of stories here. And uh, Metholomew is asking, can you share the, the links? This is in the comments on Facebook. And Jacob, you know, you just posted that. So good stuff. Go go read, guys. It's, it's eye-opening stuff for sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the big, big lesson, Jacob, we should talk about lessons, right? Things to learn, things to take away from this would be to – Carry the gun on your hip, right? I think you're muted, bud. Because where we know that handguns aren't effective in bear attacks is when they're in the back of your pack. Yeah, that makes it hard. And I think the other big takeaway is um, while having a higher caliber you know, handgun may not be a bad idea, we no longer have to say to ourselves, oh, I'm going to leave my my normal daily carry gun home, you know, what, no, even, not even any point in taking it with me because it won't stop a bear. Yep. One of these nine millimeter instances, by the way, uh, one of the two sources that gave the information on this incident was Todd Orr and Todd Orr was, he kind of, he had a couple of videos that went viral last, I think it was last year because he was involved in a bear attack where he was actually attacked two times. I'm same bear. He was attacked initially and then he managed to get away a little bit. Then he was attacked again and he was, you know, lucky to, to be able to tell the tale. And in his case as well, he did not have his handgun at the ready. He couldn't get to it quickly. Um, and, and so and he, he is one of the sources telling this other story that just happened last year as well, where grizzly bear was, was stopped, uh, by a, a nine millimeter. Uh, they, they shot it, um, and it ran off and then fishing game later found that same bear and found that it was dead from its wounds. Something to, to realize, like we think of these, of handguns as not having good penetration, not good enough penetration on these large animals. While that is probably true in a lot of cases, uh, if you were to carry, I'm just being theoretical here. If you were to carry a smaller caliber, small for bear caliber, uh, I would not be carrying hollow points. I would carry full metal jacket. Okay. Cause realize that a nine millimeter in, uh, you know, a standard 115 grain load, even in full metal jacket will penetrate like 36 inches or more of ballistic gelatin. So that's where you can, you know, what you need against a large, thick skinned, heavy animal is, is penetration. And that's where you're going to find that penetration in these, in these smaller calibers. 
we don't shoot F, uh, elephants. Well, generally people don't try to shoot elephants, but but there are some legal hunts out there. You don't shoot them with with expanding bullets. They shoot them with you know fifty caliber solid solid bullets, right? So because they need you need penetration. Anyway, just some some food for thought if you're wondering about this. And it is hunting season, so you may find yourself in a situation where you're out there and you might encounter bears and you're carrying a gun. Um, do some research and and carry wisely. On to our first justified save story. Jacob, man shoots gun at attackers after getting stabbed in Jacksonville Bank parking lot. Yeah, th- this one's scary because of how random it seems. It says that, uh, let's see, the, uh, did, did the man had pulled into a bank parking lot when two unknown men ran up to him and started stabbing him. Yeah, That's pretty abrupt. I mean, I go to the bank probably about, I don't know, two, three times a month. I go to the bank and... I, 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 this is, this is wild, right? I mean, they, there's, there's no demand for money. There's no, give us your car or else. It's just these two men run up to him and start stabbing him. Police say then that the man was able to retrieve a handgun, whatever that means, and started shooting. One of the attackers got into a black pickup truck with a woman and struck another vehicle as they drove away. The stabbing victim was taken to a hospital. So it would appear that our, our victim, our good guy with a gun here did survive. Uh, and he was able to fight back, but, um, Man, there's, it, we talk about situational awareness, you know, and being aware of what's going on around you. Uh, but I think that a lot of it also just kind of comes down for me that the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaway for this one is just this instinctive idea that sometimes it's possible to be ambushed and ambushes are the worst potential situation you could ever find yourself in because by the nature, you generally don't see it coming. That's kind of the, the, how an ambush works. And when you don't see it coming, yeah, your 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 urge to survive is going to be strong, right? Your your deep down commitment to I I will go home right now has got to be strong. Yeah, you know, so often we talk about don't you know do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people, um, and, and so many times a lot of stories we share in the justified save segment, it are instances where I mean a lot of them are at home, right? And we can't do anything about. 3 a.m. at home, like that's your domain and and crap happens sometimes, right? But there are plenty of instances where someone's at a convenience store late at night, maybe in a kind of sketchy part of town, and they suddenly find themselves in a situation where they got to draw and use their gun, right? This is not one of those situations. This is not being in a stupid place at a stupid time doing stupid stuff. You know, this is 11.15 a.m., at a bank. I don't know what the town, what that part of town is like. You know, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's broad daylight. Like this is outside of the norm for sure. Outside of the norm also. And that once again, as you pointed out, these are two unknown men that just randomly seem to run up and start stabbing this dude. Keep in mind, it's clear in the story that he just pulled into the parking lot. It's not like he just walked out of the bank with a bunch of money. So unless they were assuming he was bringing a bunch to deposit or something, I, I, it's it's hard to understand what the motive here is. Yeah, Larry mentions a, a comment here on Facebook that, that's valid. Since he was probably going into the bank, he had to store handgun and car. Well, I, I suppose it would depend on the bank. I don't I don't know of any states that have a state law that prohibits you from taking a gun into a, a banking institution. Uh, but certainly there are, are probably a number of banks out there that have policies that have you know their gun free zones and they don't allow people to bring guns into their banks. I could tell you that here in Colorado, of all the banks and credit unions, I'm only aware of one that has a no-gun policy. And certainly the banks I go to allow me to bring my gun into the bank with me. Yeah. I would say on the on the norm, like it is definitely 
an outlier when I, when when I I don't I actually can't remember the last time I saw a bank that had an you know an anti-gun policy that had something posted saying no guns allowed. Uh, not that I spent a lot of time with a lot of different banks, but I just don't remember the last time I saw it. Um, so yeah, it's some uh, Clover Tack Productions here comments in Texas. Most banks have a policy of no open carry, but concealed is okay. Sure, I, uh, that that seems that's not a big big surprise to me. Ghost Tactical commenting. I don't know of any banks around here that are gun free zones. Yeah, this is the norm in most jurisdictions, most states, most locales. Uh, banks are acceptable to carry concealed into. There's not anything prohibiting you from doing so. There's nothing posted in most cases. Uh, so my bankers have been to the gun range with me. <laughs> that's cool, man. <laughs> I'd like to know who your banker is. <laughs> <laughs> they, they love our business. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it is um, you know, and it seems clear to me that in this instance, this guy was not leaving his gun in his car going into that bank because he was walking into the bank. Uh, it sounds like, and. And then he was able to draw and use his gun to defend himself, which he was able to do so successfully. He he probably would be dead if he didn't have a gun on him. So I, there's no warrant or no no not warrant no motive. There's no apparent motive here, you know. Like these guys just start stabbing him. So I don't know. They probably would have continued until he pulled out his gun. Um, kxxv.com. Uh, this is a uh, ABC Channel 25. In Waco, Texas, a story goes, police say a man shot in face after strangling woman. This is interesting, and I, I wanted to highlight this story for a specific reason. Let me give you some of the details. This happened uh, just a few days ago, uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, actually, it would be about a week ago then, because uh, that would be a week ago tonight. Uh, it was about 11.55 p.m. A man and a woman with a personal relationship were arguing when the suspect who was 40 years old, grabbed the woman around the throat and strangled her. He also had a gun, okay? So the suspect in this case, the bad guy in this case, has a gun, okay? And then it goes on to say that the victim was able to take it and point it at him. The victim then shot him in the face after he charged at her. And then police said the gun either fired in self-defense or on accident. Um, I think... <laughs> I, that, that just seems weird to me. Like she grabbed a gun from him cause he was going to hurt her and points it at him and he starts charging at her. I'm pretty sure she probably meant to pull the trigger, but anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. I mean, so, so here's how I see this, right? Like I'm woman's being choked. She is reaching for whatever she can reach for. Maybe she knows that this guy has a gun, so she knows where to reach and grab it. She grabs a gun, points it for, for a moment. Maybe he backs off. Oh, you got my gun. Uh, so sorry. You know, a little distance maybe is created. Then he decides, nah, she's not going to do it. So he starts to charge and boom, shot fired. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he, uh, you know, was wounded and apparently is going to survive. Says he had non-life threatening injuries. So, I mean, success, right? Either way, threat is stopped. Woman is going to live to see another day. Uh, what I liked about this story was because regardless of the situation you're in, if you are unarmed for whatever reason, if you're in a situation where you can't get to your gun for whatever reason, but your bad guy has a weapon, like don't give in, don't, you know, refuse to be a victim, uh, keep fighting. And, you know, if, if a bad guy's got a gun and you can't defend yourself against that, meaning you don't have a gun yourself or you don't have a, the means whereby to, to, 
to somehow defend otherwise, then you, you've got to go after that tool that they're trying to use against you potentially, right? So uh, that's what she did here. And she was successful in taking it away from him. So it's uh, just a great, great story. And I, I like the fact that it, uh, it, it is it is the female victim in this case that generally is generally speaking is weaker, um, you know, against a male opponent like this, and she she doesn't she doesn't give in. So good for, good for her. That's a great lesson that we can all take away from that. On our Florida.concealedcarry.com site, we have a story here: father forced to shoot carjacker. Why don't you this take the lead like, on this one, dude? This is like right out of the movies, dude. This story is intense. So dad uh, has his daughter with him in, in the car, arguably maybe more than one kid, but at least for sure he has a young daughter in the back seat of, of the van. Okay. He pulls up to a barbershop to pick up his son, his 12-year-old son, and he leaves the van running. So you know, broken record on, for, from us here at the podcast, don't, don't leave kids in the car running when unattended, right? You're inviting this, this potential problem. So he goes into the barbershop to pick up the 12-year-old son while he's in the barbershop. 22-year-old bad guy uh, who happens, apparently, this is noteworthy, whoever wrote this article, the bad guy is an employee of Jimmy John's. We had to point that out. He attempted to carjack the vehicle. Now, when he, when he goes to carjack the vehicle, he orders the girl to get out of the van, but at some point decides to drive off with her still in it. And, and maybe it's because the girl refuses to get out. Maybe it's because while he's trying to convince the girl, get out, get out, I'm still in the van or whatever, the dad comes out of the barbershop. And he's like, oh, crap, too late. I got to go now. So it's, it's, well, for whatever reason, he decides to start driving off with the van, despite having attempted at least vaguely to get the innocent girl out of the backseat. While the BG is driving down the road in the stolen van with Dodd in the backseat, the father draws his concealed, you know, his concealed handgun, gives chase and, quote, shoots Wilson, killing him. Now this is while the vehicle is running, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure exactly, you know, if he's on the passenger side and he shoots through an open window, or if he's. You can see in the video, he he ends up, I think, at some point, managing to get the the driver's side door open, and ah. so he's he's basically running with the vehicle at this point, and I think when he realizes he can't get get every, you know, can't get the bad guy out, can't get the vehicle stopped, he draws and fires his gun right there, point blank. So, so kind of cool. Thanks for the detail. So that, yeah. so that, what that, that tells us a couple of things. One is that the gun for him was a very much so last resort, not the first thing he went for. He tried to get the guy out of the car. He tried to get the car to stop, tried to, you know, whatever, say whatever he needed to say, but nothing was working. So at that point, then he draws the gun and point blank just shoots the dude. And then he still has to get the, the vehicle stopped. So he kind of jumps in and hits the yeah. brake. That, that's what I gathered from reading several uh, other uh, sources of this story. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's a remarkable story. Uh, once again, yeah, I mean, we get it that, I mean, yes, it's not ideal that he left his kids in the vehicle. Um, at the same time, you know, like, I try not to judge too harshly as far as I, I know what it can be like, you know, I mean, this could be a single dad, you know what I mean? A uh, single day, he obviously has probably at least three kids. He's there at the barbershop to pick up his son or whatever, you know, and he's got one or two other kids in the vehicle. And uh, that 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 can be, you know, like I, I, I kind of get it. Like <laughs> you don't want to get all the kids out of the vehicle just so you can go in and pick up the one kid, you know, like, but at the same time, if that's what you do, then you're taking the risk of, of those kids, you know, coming, you know, being at risk uh, mm-hmm. to something. And so, um but yeah, this is a remarkable story of a man that was not going to give up, uh, you know, trying to pre- prevent something or stopping, you know, tr- stopping something bad happening to his children. Um, it is a little unclear from the stories as to whether the, the, the children in the vehicle 
actually ever got out of the vehicle, you know, per the bad guy's request or if they were still in there. But here's the key, right? As I was thinking about that, I'm like, well, why did he chase after the vehicle? Like it kind of felt like, you know, especially reading some of the stories that maybe the kids were out of the vehicle. And so he, at that point he ends up using deadly force in a situation where he was just trying to stop the theft of his vehicle. Not that he necessarily used deadly force to stop the theft, just that maybe he went out to try to stop the theft in the course of doing so, he ended up being in a position where he felt like he had to use deadly force. Well, but the then I re- but said, here's, I'm sorry, sorry finishing my thought that then I'm like, well, maybe he didn't understand if the kids were still, you know, like his mindset may have still been that my children are in that vehicle. And I need to, I need to protect them and, and prevent this theft and prevent this kidnapping, potential kidnapping. Right. So what were you going to say about the sheriff's well, office? A, a quote from the sheriff's office said that the father acted in fear of his daughter's right. safety. Yeah. So uh, to some degree, apparently the sheriff's office, you know, felt that he had justified fear in his daughter's safety and that, that, that would justify him, him shooting the firearm. Yep. So anyway, crazy story, you know, and he really put himself at, at great risk. Uh, very, it would have been very easy for him to, you know, get run over or seriously harmed uh, himself as he tried to stop this uh, vehicle. All right. So CBS12.com reports father. Oh, wait, sorry. That's the other source. <laughs> now we're moving on to a story out of Fleming Island, Florida. This from news, news4jacks.com. Concealed carry holder helps threatened Walmart shopper, deputies say. A 14-year-old boy was charged with assaulting a woman with a knife. This is this is quite a quite a story as well. I mean, that's why I think we have five, actually kind of six justified stories today, Jacob, because they're just all really, really good stories. You know, it's not the classic, you know, house had a break-in, dude shot bad guy. You know, like we get a lot of those stories. Uh, we still can find those all day long as much as we want. Uh, but there, there's just some interesting little nuance about all these stories today. So this happened down in Florida. A 14-year-old boy, this is just a boy, uh, he was arrested because he threatened a, a, a woman at a Walmart with a knife and demanded demanded that she have sex with him. All right. According to the Clay County Sheriff's Office, a man who was nearby stepped in with his gun to help. He had a concealed carry license, and deputies say he did the right thing. According to the incident, uh, and apparently this woman posted in Facebook, because it says in a Facebook post, I'd like to actually find that. The woman explained she thought that the the teen wanted to help her with groceries, but as he approached her, he told her, I want you to have sex with me. I've got a knife in my pocket. When she saw a man walking by the aisle, she yelled for help. And I I assume she's talking, I don't know, it's a little unclear. It sounds like maybe this is outside the store, maybe it's inside the store, I don't know. I, I didn't quite figure that out, whether she's talking about whether this was referring at an aisle in the parking lot or an aisle in the store, because once again, she thought he was going to help her with her groceries. You see, what, you see where I'm going? You know, like it, to me, it seemed to be in the parking lot because uh, it says uh, she saw a man walking by the aisle. But in my mind, I think an aisle of, a, of the parking lot. Yeah, I could see it going both ways. That's sure. So sure. but regardless, the, the, the circumstances are still basically the same as far as. This 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 young unfortunately a uh, fourteen year old kid. I mean he's 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 messed up right to be doing this kind of stuff. Uh, he's got a knife. He's threatening her with this, uh, and the woman sees a man in the vicinity, calls to him for help. He sees this boy with the knife threatening her. He draws his gun, 
and is able to stop the teenager at that point. He holds, holds him at bay until law enforcement are able to re- respond and arrest him. Now, interestingly enough, just to give you kind of a, a, a view into the mindset of this kid committing this crime, um, the uh, woman said that she asked, she looked at the teen and said, are you serious? Did you say that? Because this is him telling her that, you know, I'm going to kill you basically if you don't do this this thing I want you to do with me. And the scariest part says that that boy responded with a nod or a yes, and it wasn't a questionable nod. So he seemed very sure about, I will stab you with this knife if you don't do this thing I demand of you right here, right now. So that's, uh, oh, that sounds like a hardened criminal already, and he's only 14. Not bueno. Yeah. Maybe some mental health issues there, because they did say that he's being evaluated for that before being transferred to the detention center. Um so anyway, tragic, I think, as far as like, it makes me sad when I hear about 14-year-old kids that'll do, you know, do something like that. But I'm, I'm also very thankful that this man was in the area, that he was able and ready to respond. Uh, this, this could have been any one of us, right? Just a dude do, mining, mining our business, and all of a sudden a woman is, or somebody is asking for our help to, uh, to save them, basically. So mm-hmm. good stuff here. Um, next story, citizen helps wounded officer with concealed carry firearm. Uh, this out. This is on our Illinois.concealedcarry.com site. A story out of out of Illinois. Jacob, take the lead on this one, bro. Yeah. So, the, a good Samaritan sitting in traffic uh, witnesses an attack. Okay. So, what's the attack? Well, you have two officers, partners, who have um, confronted a, a, a suspect, and the suspect has jumped out of of his car and has opened fire on the two officers. Okay, the officers uh, return fire. One of them, however, is shot and, and you know, is, is out. He's out of the fight. And so the citizen who's in the intersection, uh, as far as I can tell, it seems that he was in the intersection. He's stopped. He's waiting in for traffic. He, he witnesses what's going on. He decides to intervene. So he gets out of his own vehicle. He draws his own concealed firearm. And he joins the now you know, re- remaining officer in the gunfight against the suspect. The suspect is shot at some point. It's not clear from the last time I checked the news, you know, if, if the suspect was shot by the armed bystander, Good Samaritan, or if he was shot by the officer, uh, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, that, that, you know, he, he helps uh, ultimately. That's, that's how it goes down. And a lot of people are calling this guy a hero, saying that, you know, what he did was, was heroic, that he stepped in, he helped law enforcement in this case. And it's great. I saw a post on the Chicago Tribune this morning, however, that said something to the effect of, you know, one one incident of an armed citizen helping the cops doesn't justify, you know, concealed carry or something like that. And I thought about running and putting a comment with about 50 million other examples. Yeah, but, no kidding, uh, right? Yeah, that, that's where we're at. Jeez, I mean, I could think already of, of uh, let's see, we had the incident in Arizona, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, Good Samaritan uh, protected the cop. We had the situation in Florida. Uh, we got this situation, and I'm sure there are others. Um, yeah, this comment here, or, or it's a quote from gun control advocate Colleen Daly, the executive director of the Illinois Council Against Handgun Violence. She said, this situation worked out okay, but what if it hadn't? It easily could have gone the other way. To sit here and say that concealed carry is the answer to all of our gun violence problems, or more, that armed people are going to keep us safer, that's not true. Well, she doesn't listen wow. to the Justified Saves segment of the Concealed Carry Podcast, so. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, man. I mean, just 
oh, that that hurts my my brain, you know, like trying to understand the where that person is at in their in their worldview and their mindset. Um, yeah, so this this is awesome, you know. You have a cop here that to re- and actually to respond to her comment a little bit, right? Because you have to consider what is the alternative, right? The alternative is this cop was shot four times. He's hitting his arm, leg, and side. I'll tell you, in the, being hit in the side, that's like that's that's a that's a bad place for a lot of cops. That's where a lot of cops die as they somehow end up getting shot in the side. That's where they don't have you know as much ballistic protection, and you know get, realize what's above. Like most of ballistic vests cover from about you know, a little bit above your waist to basically the base of your ribs on the side. So what's above that? Like if you get a bullet that goes through that area, it's probably piercing your heart and or lungs, right? It's a bad place. This cop is, is lucky to be alive. And what's the alternative? Bad guy doesn't get confronted by good guy. And so bad guy goes up and finishes that cop off, walks up to him, shoots him in the head. You know, like that's happened before. Garen, I, I, I can tell you that. There's plenty of dash cam video where bad guys go up and finish off, finish that cop off. So the alternative is let's ensure cop dies as opposed to good guy happens to be in the area and is able to stop and able to shoot bad guy and keep things from getting worse, at least for that cop. Yeah, I'll take that every day, all day long, because you you know, Jacob, and I know, based on our research too, and especially just looking at active shooter situations, how many times were concealed carry, were a good guy using a gun in an active shooter situation, do they hurt somebody innocent? Yeah, happens all the time. Zero. They, Right? Isn't that what we found? <laughs> never. Never. It's never happened. Well, certainly not in the active shooter situations right. as the FBI would define it. Have good guys accidentally hit other good guys? Yes, this is true. But the fact is, more often than not, lives are saved when a good guy uses a gun in self-defense than other good lives are taken. Indeed. So this is a great story out of Cicero, Illinois. I, I was thrilled when I found this one last week. In fact, I think this one came in as we were recording one of the podcasts, and I was like, oh, this is this is good stuff. Well, there you go. That wraps up today's uh, news stories. I uh, hope that you enjoyed those stories, and I hope you got something from them. I hope that uh, something in what we've talked about today has helped you be a little bit more prepared, a little bit uh, more ready, and uh, able to do what you got to do, potentially. So, yeah. Um, today's episode, once again, brought to you by the Law of Self-Defense webinar that we have going on tomorrow evening. That's Wednesday, September 19th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That would be 9 p.m. Eastern on the East Coast. And uh, that'll be, once again, that'll that'll be a great event. We've got a, a very, very full house uh, you're going to enjoy. We've got stuff we're giving away. We're giving away rifle kits. So basically it's one of these rifle kits we gave away in a, our last Guardian Nation uh, live broadcast, right? And we gave away two if I remember correctly, which was awesome. It's another great reason to be a member of Guardian Nation so you can participate in that stuff. Um, It's everything you need to build a AR-15 rifle minus the lower receiver. Okay? So if if you don't have an AR yet and you've been wanting to to get one, to build one or whatever, hey, all you got to do is go find a lower receiver. 
we're if you're a lucky winner of one of these rifle kits, we're gonna send you everything else: barrel, handguard, stock, lower parts kit, everything else. All right. So that's just one of the things we're giving away. We're giving away a whole bunch of other really awesome stuff. Go sign up lawselfdefense.org forward slash what was it? Uh, quiz webinar. There it is. And mm-hmm. and and by that quiz. We're referring to this law of self-defense quiz that we've been running for the last couple of months where we have like 18,000 responses to. And basically what we took from that is there's still people out there that need to learn more about the law of self-defense. This webinar is a perfect place and perfect way to get started for free. No, no cost to get signed up and to attend the webinar. So do it today, get signed up, and we'll see you tomorrow at 7 p.m. Mountain Time or Thursday for a second session at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. LawSelfDefense.org forward slash quiz webinar. And I kind of had a little plug already, but uh, make sure you sign up for Guardian Nation, GuardianNation.com today. We've got another great benefit coming to members. It just keeps getting better and better all the time. And this one will have something to do with saving some money on ammo. Yeah, which is amazing because right now ammo is already cheap, and it's about yeah, to get good time to cheaper. be buying ammo. Yeah. Yep. So with that, it is time to sign off. Jacob, uh, any last words, bro? No, you know the train hard and train right, and I'm sure you'll say it. <laughs> okay. Well, we really sincerely mean it, and hope this. We hope that you will train right, train often, and train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast